It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Target date retirement funds. Bum, bum, bum. Pros and cons. Man, that's a boring title, but that is, that's what Google liked. That is liked. a boring title. Is that is that what we're going with? Is that going to be it? That's what Google liked. I mean, as I told you, we were trying to you know use Google as a tool to, to figure out how to name these things. Maybe you guys will make that much more exciting. But Whatever. If Google says do it, we're going to do it. That's what we're going to be covering today. Before we get into that, but we got a lot going on this week. We do. And, okay, so biggest news, today's Monday, right? Today's not Friday, the normal Money Guy day. It's Monday. So instead of ending your week with us guys. We're going to start your week with us guys. That's right. That's right. We're going to FinCon. This is our first year at FinCon, so we don't really know what to expect. Based upon the rap video that got published, I'm actually a little scared. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool to see. Uh, it's going to be a meeting of the minds out there, you know, the bloggers, podcasters, all the financial wizards out there, and kind of get to hang out and see, see what some of the other folks are like. Did you pack your um, Captain America costume? As much as I like that idea, I have not done it yet. Okay. Well, I'm trying to encourage him just to go with the whole con concept to show up as Captain America. I think it would be t- great gags, and we could um, film it, and, and everybody could have a lot of fun with it. But Bo's not partaking. Other thing, fanboy information here on iPhone 6. Okay, so it was a cruddy weekend here in Atlanta, some overcast weather. You know, there's I didn't have a lot of stuff on the DVR, so what did I do? I flipped on and spent two hours of my life watching the big Apple announcement. And then um, I promptly had the whole family waiting to open up the, um, the AT&T store. I've got a picture of that. I love that you set it up that way because it could have been the most beautiful weather all year long. You could have had the DVR <laughs> slap full of stuff, and you're still spending two hours of your weekend watching the Apple announcements. You so, know you are. They didn't tell you that because um, my wife's phone will be in, in, in the late September, 1st of October, if you got the plus, the bigger one, mine says November. Nobody told me that when I was doing all the paperwork. I mean, they said, hey, Mr. Preston, by the way, you're not getting your phone until November. I might have said, really? November? But it is what it is. So have you, have you seen any of the, the parody videos about the iPhone Plus now? Because I can totally vision, because this thing's no longer going to fit in your pocket. So I totally see you with either the fanny pack with the phone sticking out of it or maybe the huge, you know, the hip clip. So you have it covering your entire side. That's what I see. I think it's going to be awesome. We better get this thing back on topic. Otherwise, we're going to start losing listeners left and right. So target date retirement funds. First, let me give you some pertinent information. Money-guy.com. I'm totally bypassing the fanny pack. I know that I posted a Disney World picture years ago with a fanny pack, and it has never gone away. Nobody mentions the Tevas anymore. But money-guy.com. You can go check us out there and see all the other social media stuff we're doing between Twitter, Facebook, and then, of course, pull your great show notes that um, the team's putting together where we're going to have links and everything else. So if you're driving, don't worry about it. If you're exercising, just go to money-guy.com and we'll go hook you up. Um, sign up for a free membership if you just want to get blast emails as well as a little more additional information that we make available out there to our free members that do sign up just by giving us their email address. Become a premium member and you get to have access to all of our archives all the way back to 2006 as well as our quarterly commentary that comes out. So let's jump into this. This could be the shortest podcast ever. Why do I say that, Bo? What's the definition, really, of target date retirement funds? 
These things are simple. A target day retirement fund is essentially uh, an investment, a mutual fund that you kind of put on autopilot. You do exactly what it says. You pick your target retirement date. You select whatever date that is, the year 2030, 2040, whatever it may be. You put your money in that fund, and then you kind of just set it and forget it. Yeah, that's that's how these things are marketed. And just to give you a little history lesson, you guys know how I like to to play the historian and tell you what happened. These things can, actually came about in the early 1990s. Um, they they had a little bit of they were designed initially, and they and they still are. This is the lion's share of their market share comes from aiming at the defined contribution plans. That's your 401ks, your 403bs, your 457s. As the government's even gotten involved with their TSP programs. So these things were not designed initially for the general retail investor. These things were specifically to go after retirement plans. And the idea actually had a little trouble gaining traction in the beginning. Because you have to remember, this back in the 90s, and um, I'm going to pick on somebody without giving their name because I actually like them a lot and I don't want to give their name. But a lot of people back in the 90s were focusing on plans, um, aggressive growth, growth. Growth and income. Income. I mean, this is what your funds were titled back then. And you even had a whole trend where the mutual fund industry was embracing that you would just determine based upon where your aggressive growth, growth, growth and income, income. And you that's how your allocations were, were set up. So there's a lot of really stiff competition for somebody to come up with a new concept and say, hey, just choose your your year of retirement, and that's going to make this all simple. Um, because the, the person I was going to pick on, there's a, a consumer finance person that for years, their investment allocation was 25% to aggressive growth, 25% to growth, 25% to growth in income. Or there was something to that effect. Right, I think right, they had right. some international in there too. Um, and that always cracked me up when I saw that. And then I, I, I picked on, I'll pick on a relative too. My sister-in-law, I remember the first time I looked at her 401k back in the, the early 2000s. I think she had every fund that could have the word growth in the title she owned. And she, I, I think her, her reasoning was if it says growth, it must be good. So that's why I'm going to go with this. But that, that's why these things, really kind of came in with a whimper, not much different than the way ETFs, because ETFs were actually created the, pretty much the exact same time back in the early 1990s. So that's how these things came to be. Now, let's give you a state of what's going on with target date retirement funds. These things, uh, you know, I had a great executive summary that Gabe had put together because being insiders, institutional advisors, you know, we constantly get information and, the, and access to webinars. And Morningstar every year kind of gives their update on what's going on in certain segments of the investment marketplace. And this year, um, no exception, they did a, a, a webinar on Morningstar target date update. You know, something like that. Gabe, I'm using off of your subject line of your executive summary, so I probably slaughtered it. But it was a, it was a, a webinar done, and this is these are the numbers I grabbed off of of Gabe's executive summary. Listen to this: the 2013 market share, Fidelity had 29.8 percent of it. Vanguard had 26.7. So those this two is for right all there. target date this retirement funds? This is all funds? target date retirement funds. So Fidelity you know, controls it with Vanguard right on its heels at 26.7. And then T. Rowe Price at 16.9%. So if you look at that, that's like 73% is when those three players. Wow. Um, the other, the, All the rest of the market share, all the other players that are out there, 
that um, I have a Consumer Reports article I'll pull up in a minute, and it will mention something like Principal, John Hancock, all these, all these other companies out there only account for 26.7% of the market share. So there's three guys, three companies that are really kind of controlling the, the market share of this. And I thought it was interesting. It said TSP lifecycle funds had $62 billion in assets at the end of 2013, which would have put them at number four on the list of biggest biggest target date retirement fund families. So that's the government getting involved with their TSP plans. If they were a mutual fund company, they would have been a big player on this list as well. And listen, this is this was really interesting to me because you talk about profitability and how these things, you know, if you if you have your Monday morning company-wide update where they go to department heads and you're obviously going to sit them at the table based upon who's the most profitable. I got to believe target date retirement funds are sitting at the head of the table or pretty close to the head of the table for a lot of these fund companies, especially those top three. Because listen to this. In 2013, a third of the fund company inflows, meaning new assets coming into the companies, were from target date retirement funds. And let's go even deeper and look at each one of the funds. Fidelity, more than half of their net flows came from target date retirement funds. That's huge if you think about it. And that makes sense, though, because Fidelity is usually, they are the largest 401k provider. So that makes sense that since these this, this product was designed with a focus on these defined contribution plans. Vanguard, 16% of their net flows come from target date retirement funds. T. Rowe Price, <laughs> These guys, they, T. Rowe Price might have their target date retirement fund person sitting only at the table with them because 95% of their net flows came from target date Holy retirement cow. funds. Holy cow. So, I mean, you can see what they're doing with these things. Um, Index-based target date funds make up 33% of the industry. That's up from 10% in 2005. That makes complete sense if you think about what does the typical investor do? What has been killing it for the last, really since 2008? Index funds. Mm -hmm. So obviously companies are, you know, investing in those passive strategies because that's where the money's been flowing to over the last few years. Um, this was a good trend here is the fifth year in a row of in decreasing expenses. The industry average is now at 0.84%. Um, Fidelity and Vanguard are kind of battling it out to, to see who can have the lowest because Fidelity did something very unique in 2009. They came out, they not only had their Fidelity Freedom Funds, which are have some active management um, bendings and leanings towards them. They actually came out with a Fidelity Freedom Index platform, too, and I think they did that specifically to compete against Vanguard and push those internal expenses as low as possible. So I thought that was kind of cool to give you kind of a, a state of the, the, the marketplace for those type of funds. Um, I need to make sure I also explain to you guys there's some lingo that goes in, into these funds. And, you know, we always try to go beyond common sense, and I want to give you that stuff. So that way, if you want to know some nerd words, so that when you're out there talking to your friends at that, you know, trying to show them that you are the king of the hill on understanding investment concepts, this is the stuff that's going to put you above your friends. You know, so because everybody, you know, reads the CNBC or gets, you know, has that app on their iPad or whatever, this is going to put you above it. Glide paths. You gotta know what the word glide paths represents when you're talking about target date retirement funds. Glide paths, Bo, 
Mr. CFA, you want to you want to you want to talk about Glide Pass, any? Well, I'm actually a little nervous because I I know what I think Glide Pass is, are, but I don't I don't want to be wrong here. You've got to I don't no, know. That, I mean, it is I don't know that I have my like. nerd word. No, the Glide Pass is 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 exactly what they they sound like they are. Is that fun companies? How much equity exposure they have, and how it changes over time. Because remember, target date retirement funds, Bo, Bo did a great job of giving a definition, but part of that, you know, how did you say it? You said, you know, invest and forget it. Or set it and forget set it. Set it and forget it. Part of that is, is that you're hoping that as younger investors go into these products, they're going to stay with them for decades. So it makes complete sense that they're going to have high equity exposure when they're young and they can handle a lot of volatility and they have the majority of their asset value is in their human capital. They don't have a lot of financial assets yet. And I'll explain in a minute what that means. But it's it's common to, to have a large equity exposure. Well, over time, as you get older, start getting a little more grayer hair, um, like I am currently, you you start to see that equity exposure start to push down. And that's the glide path. You know, I get a visual immediately of an airplane coming in for a landing and it's that, that how, how steep is that curve on going from equity exposure down to more conservative asset classes. So glide path is going to be something you hear a lot talked about when we're talking about target date retirement funds. Longevity risk versus market risk. Now this was very important back in 2008 and then the recovery of 2009 and then so on is because and I want you to do this because when you watch TV now and you see the financial commercials that specifically focus on saving for retirement, if they start talking about, are you concerned about inflation? Are you concerned that you're going to outlive your assets? That is what's considered longevity risk. Um, and the reason I tell you you need to pay attention to these these key words as well as the angle that somebody's marketing you is that they have proven that companies that focus on longevity risk typically have a higher allocation to equities. Therefore, they might be considered more aggressive than a fund company that's going to focus on market risk. When I talk about market risk, that's the volatility of the stock market or bond market, whatever market going up or down. So you need to pay attention to those two terms, longevity risk versus market risk. Active versus passive. I've already talked about in that um, you know, state of the, the, the market in these target funds is that passive seems to be where a lot of the money's going. And as a result, a lot of the fund companies are putting more and more resources into sending out really low-cost index-type funds um, that, that are within this target retirement. And it remains to be seen if that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing from the investment cost, I will tell you, as I've always, I like keeping internal expenses as low as possible. I just worry as we get into the allocations in a minute, is there some implications there? And we'll talk about that. And then, um, this is more of just an understanding because I, I was just shocked. I think the average consumer, especially money guy listeners understand this, but I, I could see how the public could get confused about this very easily. Target two or target through. Hmm. A lot of people, I didn't, I didn't even realize this was, I, I just assumed people understood this. When you choose a target date retirement fund, and let's say, let's go back in time. Let's say that you retired in 20, 2005, right. and we're back in 2003, and you're buying your target date retirement fund. They actually had people that were thinking that it was a target too, meaning that when you hit 2005, okay, I guess that means this allocation should automatically go to cash, 
and have zero risk anymore. Well, that's not the way these mm-hmm. things are set up, and that's why I want to make sure you you understand that as well. As far as I know, all of these target date retirement funds are set up for target through, meaning that if you own a 2005 target date retirement fund, it continues to invest your money. It just continues to get more and more conservative. And that's the thing that I just want to make sure that I explain, because when I was reading the research, I was like, there's people actually believe that? I mean, that, that's hard for me to believe, but it's one of those things that I think it is important for you just to understand all the word games that go into these investments. So now that you understand target two versus target through, and remember, you know, one of the things Bo and I were talking about when we were doing show prep is that you notice a lot of the fund companies, specifically like we know Fidelity Freedom has an income fund that's specifically set up for people as they're in retirement. So even though some of these funds are set up to continue to be in existence for 5, 10, 15 years even after you've hit your retirement, they even have some default options that you can even look at transitioning to if you want to take that that risk out of there. And, that, and that's probably a great segue because I wanted to ask, to go going beyond common sense, is now that we've had enough time to look in the rearview mirror, we've gone through 2008, which was considered one of the worst downturns since the Great Depression. How did these funds actually stress test when we went through a really tough time in the marketplace? So I went and pulled the performance, and what do you know, Morningstar, once again, being the leader in the industry on kind of giving you information, they actually had a white paper from 2010 looking back at the performance as well as the structure and doing a full research analysis on target date retirement funds to see if there was something to learn from it. So what I thought was interesting when I pulled up the performance from that, and listen listen to these numbers. It said... If you look back at the performance of 2008, now they pulled this for 2010 funds. Remember, 2008 occurred, and they pulled this performance off of 2010 funds. You can imagine somebody who, in 2008, who has a 2010 fund, they're thinking, I'm going to retire in the next 18 months. You heard that. I'm going to retire in the next 18 months. And then they hit the performance of 2008, where the average target date retirement fund had a loss of 23%. Um, you can imagine that, and, and that there was a, a widespread of what the equity exposure was. There was funds that had, you know, that were talking about longevity risk. Remember I gave you that term that had upwards of 50% of their assets still in stock, even though they're supposedly 18 months from retirement. And the lo- losses from some of those funds went as high, I kid you not, to 41%. There were funds that you're supposed to be 18 months from retirement that could have lost almost half of your entire principal. You can imagine, as a result of that, the government decided, wait a minute, let's start looking at this. So the government agencies, we had the Senate subcommittees that were convening. Um, There was all kind of just backlash going on looking at this. But what's found out is, is that these funds actually kind of recovered very quickly. And, and that's what I thought. Morningstar had some great advice here, and I'm going to go through the actual numbers. It said, one clear takeaway is that a glide path should not be judged solely on the basis of its short term or even intermediate term. Critics were too quick in 2009 to label longevity-oriented glide paths a failure and to assume that glide paths intended to preserve capital near retirement were the only sensible approach. Similarly, prior to 2007, the drumbeat around longevity risk was loudest, while those worrying about the potential of market collapses could scarcely 
be heard above the din of the dual bull market. And that's so true just with general market timing. You know, we always hear everybody say, I want to buy low, sell high. But you know how the, the cycle of emotional investing occurs is most of us actually do the exact opposite. We typically buy when things are very high and then sell when they're very low. And, and it, you, you can see how that kind of played into the 2000, 2000, I mean, the 2008 and 2009 marketplace. But actually looking at performance, listen to this, because now we have data. I could, I could go even further than the Morningstar white paper. Um, I looked at, because what they had here is I just pulled the top three, because remember I told you 73% is controlled really by three players. Um, T. Rowe Price, their 2010 fund, Back in this is remember this is for people who were in 2008 had 60% equity exposure and as a result they lost 26.71 percent in 2008. Now they did have a recovery year in 2009 of 27.95 percent and then a, a, a 2010 performance of 12.7. So they're well on their way to getting them out of that that hole within that three year period. It's just but it got to believe that some people probably didn't retire in 18 months. I bet right. a lot of people worked through it. I thought it was very interesting, though. Remember, the 2010 fund had 60%. How much has that been adjusted now? I fast-forwarded. Here we are in 2014. That same fund, the 2010 fund, now only has 46.96% in equity. So there's been a, a change. If you look at that glide path, we went from 60% equity down to 46.96. Now let's get at apples to apples if this was a 2010 fund in 2009 and 2010, you know, kind of getting an understanding of that, we could do make a similar comparison and look at the 2015 fund for today to see an apples to apples of how the allocation. So instead of 60%, now their 20 of uh, their 2010 fund back then, their 2015 now has a 55.76. So they have moderated mm-hmm. slightly close to 5% they've pulled off out of equities if you're looking at the same time period. So if you go down to Vanguard, Vanguard had 55% equity allocation in 2000 in their 2010 fund back in 2008. They lost 20.67%. That actually seems <laughs> pretty bad, reasonable. Yeah. They had a recovery in 2009 of 19.32. And then in 2010, they got an 11.43. So very quickly, they were digging themselves out of the hole um, I thought I thought it was interesting. If you look at that 2010 fund now, the equity allocation is only 37.59. So Vanguard, known as a, a big leader in the index, really went lowered their a- equity allocation pretty quickly. So that's a pretty steep, mm-hmm. you know, glide path if you think about it in those terms. If you did an apples to apples, looking at the 2015 compared to the 2010, when the same time period. Um, instead of it being 55% like it was in the 2010, now it's 51.01% on the 2015 plan. So they have moderated slightly too. Here's the exception to the rule. Fidelity Freedom. Fidelity Freedom back then had 50% of their assets in equities. And they had a loss of 25.32% in 2008, but then had a, a turnaround of 2482 in 2009 and then 11.65% in 2010. So they were also making a recovery. But listen to this. I look, pulled the 2010 fund for Fidelity. Their allocation is still 48.08% equity. Pretty so th- there has not been much of a change. Here we have, we've had five years go by. You saw Vanguard as well as T. Rowe Price have pretty steep glide paths where they're, they're, they're limiting that exposure out of equities very quickly. 
Fidelity's just said, nope, we're going to keep rocking and rolling and kept that glide path pretty flat during that period of time. I also thought it was interesting if you go do the pull the 2015 fund, because that's very equivalent to the 2010. Instead of it being 50%, now their 2015 fund is actually at 55%. So Fidelity's actually been hitting the accelerator on their equity exposure, meaning they're more bullish, probably talking more about longevity risk than market risk, whereas I would think I was really surprised to see Vanguard was kind of very conservative with their allocation because they were the most conservative out of these three by dropping down below 38% with their equity exposure. So that leads to, there was a piece that Consumer Reports came out with. This actually came out at the end of August called Take Control of Your Target Date Funds. And they're going to talk a lot about glide paths too because here's here's the, the paragraphs that I highlighted. It said, since 2009, most glide paths have been recalibrated, particularly the funds of those closest to retirement age, those labeled 2015, 2020, and 2025. As a result, the difference in the asset allocations are less drastic now than they were in 2009. Back then, for example, a target fund designed for someone retiring in 10 years could have been had exposure to stocks as high as 81% or as low as 37%. Today, that exposure is narrowed from a high of 75% down to about 50%. So here's what they said. They said how to take control. And this was the tips that Consumer Reports came up with. They said, these are the steps you can take to make investing in target date funds optimal for you. And I remember what I just talked about with the glide pass of very key players. We got T. Rowe Price, Vanguard, and Fidelity, and very different equity exposure, all for the same years in retirement. It said, look at all of the target date funds your retirement plan offers. If your plan offers target date funds that invest more in equities than you are comfortable with in the years leading up to your retirement, consider choosing a fund with a retirement date five or 10 years before you actually plan to retire. That way you're pushing that, you're making your, your plan more conservative is what that's as telling you to do. It says, taken as a whole, the average target date fund expense ratio, and this is what Gabe had talked about in his executive notes, has also decreased. It was 0.91% in 2013, according to Morningstar. Now, we had in our data points, which was a newer one, that it was actually below 0.9%. So that trend is continuing for another year, it looks like. But back in 2008, the average was 1.04%. So it's nice to see that, that that trend is getting cheaper and cheaper. And here's one. We see this at 401k meetings all the time, Bo. Don't split the difference with target date funds. Putting half your money in two or more target target date funds, or even half in a target date fund and half in another investment within the plan is counterproductive. We see that mm -hmm. all the time. And I'm always amazed that people who are, you know, these are really are supposed to be, when you fill out a target date retirement fund, usually you go put 100% into that fund and um, and just kind of lock it in like, like Bo said. I wanted to close out the show because I love target date retirement funds, even on the retail side. I think that you can use this if you, you know, I've told you, usually you don't need, you know, a lot of guidance if you're a doer until you reach about a quarter of a million dollars. Your most important thing is focusing on the human capital and then saving. Now, what do I mean when I talk about human capital? Because that's the second time I brought it up. Realize when you graduate college or get out in the workforce, you don't have any investments usually. But you have tremendous, the present value of your earning potential is at its highest level when you first come out. So you can be as aggressive as possible because think about it, if you have something that's 90% equity, 
when you're, you know, in your early 20s, what are you really risking? I mean, if you're starting at zero or you have less than $10,000, is it that big of a deal that 90% of your money is in equities? Not really, because you have most of your, your value is in your human capital, what you will potentially earn over the coming years. There does come a shift, though. As you go through life and you start saving money and that money builds, and that's why I say the $250,000 to $300,000 mark is such an important one, I think that's where you're crossing a threshold, where you're starting to get into real assets. When we talk about compounding interest, think about 10% on $300,000 could earn you $30,000 a year. That's starting to replace what you might be able to do with your back, your mind, and your hands. Whereas 10% on $10,000, yes, $1,000 is a lot, is a, a nice chunk of money, but you're probably not changing the way you work your work day out by making an additional $1,000. So that's why you have to understand human capital versus financial capital because I think that there is a graduation date from target date retirement funds. Um, I, I love these funds. I think they're, they're great for the do-it-yourselfers as you're building that key financial balance where you're trying to build up that foundation of assets that are going to grow and work for you. But there does come a time where you've graduated from. And why do I think you've graduated? Diversification. These funds are great, but if you look at what they're investing in, it's primarily, it looks like an allocation from 1997. You will have stocks, you will have bonds, you'll have cash, you'll have some international stocks, you might have a touch of real estate. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're not getting into any other different asset classes to add those additional layers of diversification that can take you to the next level. So there is a limitation there. Asset placement. We've gotten a lot of great feedback on that podcast we did a while back on asset placement. And what I mean by that is is that think about your Roth assets, which are tax-free, your 401k, 403b, 457s, and your your rollover IRAs, they're all tax-deferred, meaning they grow, but eventually when you pull that money out, they will be taxed as ordinary income, but right now they grow tax-deferred. And then you got your taxable assets. All of those do different things for tax purposes. So you want to be strategic with how you put your money. Obviously, tax-free. Tax-free, you want to you want to stick it to the government as much as possible legally. So you put your growth assets in your in your tax-free accounts. Your tax deferred. That's where you want your ordinary income assets to be flowing through your bonds and things that are going to be paying out a lot of short-term capital gains and other things like that. And then your taxable, you want to try to maximize your dividend-paying stocks as well as capital gain type things, as well as keep some liquidity in there. All these things go into your allocation and your asset placement. You can't do that in a target date retirement fund. Remember, you kind of lock it in, click it, and forget it, really. I mean, it's, it's one that's the way that thing works out. You also lose the opportunity to do gain-loss planning. I mean, a big part of what we do is rebalancing and then tax harvesting and other things that go beyond just an, a simple allocation. I mean, the world is changing, guys. I think it is incredible. You know, we get calls, and our clients who are listening, by the way, our podcast listeners uh, who are now clients, we have some exciting stuff that we're going to share with you in the next month and a half where we're embracing. A lot of people are worried about robo-advisors, these target date retirement funds, I think hogwash. This stuff makes us better. It really does. Because if you're not embracing the new technology and finding a way to bring it into your firm so your clients can use it, you're not evolving. And that's the part that I get so excited about all these new technologies, the data aggregators. Mint.com, be careful, because I think that there are some things that are coming out there. Because I love Mint. 
But Mint has this tendency to pick on, I, I, it drives me crazy a little bit because it's always trying to, to, to push some product on me, a mutual, I mean, a, usually a credit card company. And then it, it's always, you know, anytime you pay any fee, like I have a 401k account that charges me $10 a month. And it drives me crazy every month that Mint says, hey, why don't you change that account? You know, so that you can avoid that $10 a month. Well, I don't change the account because it's tied into the other 10 accounts with all my other companies and businesses and everything else. But I think that there are products, well, we know because we've got it in beta testing right now, that's great for our clients. And I'm just excited that we're able to incorporate the technology and embrace what robo-advisors, target date retirement funds, ETFs, all these evolutions of investing are a positive thing. And I share that with you just because I think these are the type of things. I know we have a lot of listeners that are also financial advisors, and I just I want to be a coach to those guys too. You know, I know that you know. Listen to this, see how you can embrace it, but all use this data to try to make your portfolio better and stretch that dollar a little bit further. Bo, you pick on me constantly because I really am trying to. I mean, I had a spreadsheet that you you came over. And you saw I was working on it, and you're like, well, what's that 5% discount built in the spreadsheet for? And I was like, I'm the money guy. That's my 5%. That's I was what like, it is. Just because I think I can get it. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things that that is the way your philosophy of life should be, is when you're out there trying to figure out how you stretch your dollar every which way. Um, I'm getting the look from Bo because I know we have some other things that we've got to jump into. But I truly love doing the podcast, guys. I hope you enjoy what we're putting out there. I know, as Bo's already shared, this is coming out on a Monday versus a Friday. We had some scheduling issues. Look at it this way. Now you don't have to wait two weeks to get the next show. We're going to be back before you in less than two weeks because this is a Monday. We'll be back on the following Friday. I'm sure I'll have some feedback on how good Bo looked in his um, Captain America costume at the FinCon. And if you're going to be at FinCon, give us a shout-out. We'll be around I haven't figured out how many days I'm going to wear the Tightwad Nation shirts. Uh, I can't figure out if that's tacky or if that should be embraced. I think um, think we're going to embrace it. So we'll we'll see what happens. But check us out, money-guy.com. You can write the show. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. Of course, my co-host, I didn't let talk too much today, and I apologize for that, that, Bo. It's at Bo, B-O, at money-guy.com. We'll talk to you in less than two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 